Good Wednesday morning, and welcome to the 7 a.m. Over the Years Anonymous, A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy G., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today's date is September 16, 2020. It is Wednesday, and today we are reading in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We are on page five, the sixth paragraph, starting with Renewing My Resolve. Today's readers are, and thank you so much for your service, Reva P., Martha Z., Alicia N., Esther F., our newcomer greeter, Tanya G., and our host for the second unrecorded hour, Nancy P. The reference numbers for yesterday, Tuesday, September 15th, the 7 a.m. meeting is 15,355, that's 15355. For the 10 a.m. meeting, 15,356. That's 15356. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask for Alicia Ann to read the 12 steps. Go ahead, Alicia. Good morning. I'm Alicia N., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Richmond, Virginia. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for, for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Grateful to serve. Thank you, Alicia. I will now ask for Esther F. to read the 12 traditions. Go ahead, Esther. 
Thank you. Good morning. This is Esther F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio, the 12 traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OE unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We main, we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service. And I pass. Thank you, Esther. Okay, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and the literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. If you go over, you'll hear me say time. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only, please. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic, but again, this meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study in the big book. We are on page five, paragraph six, reading that one paragraph, and I'm going to ask Reva P. to get us started. Go ahead, Reva. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, currently in Montreal. Renewing my resolve, I tried again. Some time passed and confidence began to be replaced by cocksureness. I could laugh at the gin mills. Now I had what it takes. One day I walked into a cafe to telephone. In no time, I was beating on the bar asking myself how it happened. As the whiskey, sorry, as the whiskey rose to my head, I told myself I would manage better next time, but I might as well get good and drunk then, and I did. So hi, this is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. He's resolving and resolving and resolving his problem 
Um, and I love all the eyes in this paragraph. Um, I had what it takes. Um, that is when I get into trouble, when I am in self-reliance and I am in self-will run riot, um, I make a mess. Um, I get into trouble with the food and I make a mess um, in my life. I'm like a tornado roaring myself through the lives of everybody um, creating havoc. Um, so this um, word cocksureness, I looked up and it means having certainty or confidence more than the situation warrants. The I know. When I am in, I know what to do. I'm rolling up my sleeves and I'm going to get to the plan that I decide is the right thing. I am in so much trouble. Um, and, you know, I've learned not only is surrender and powerlessness um, a great place for me to begin, but the I don't know. When I get to a place where I don't know what to do anymore and I'm all out of ideas and I'm all out of motivation, that is the best place um, it seems to go hand in hand with the surrender and the powerlessness um, because the great obsession is, you know, someday, somehow I'm going to control and enjoy my eating. And the great obsession is I can figure out all my problems. I know what's right for me and everybody else. Um, so I don't know. I was told is a safe place held by God. Um, and the other thing that is such a remember when, and it's so painful to remember that once I started I might as well get good and drunk. I might as well just like get the binge going, 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 because I've, I've ruined it anyway. Um, and this program has taught me I can stop anytime. It doesn't even have to be the next morning. It doesn't have to be on Monday. It can be in the middle of the day. It can be in the middle of the night um, if I'm in a binge. Like anytime is a good time to say help. And God can swoop in. Um, and restore me to sanity. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Reva, for getting us started. Okay, so we're going to share on what was read. Again, if you've shared on um, Monday or Tuesday, we ask, although we love to hear you, we'd ask that you please refrain from sharing so we can hear other people's experience, strength, and hope. So who would like to share today? I'm Diane H. Maria Okay, so there was okay, hold on one sec. Maria there was a group of people that all came in. All right, Liz, there we go. Lauren in Nicole P. Lauren and I got you and Lauren Okay, this is a good group. I've got Diane E, I believe, Barbara E, Maria F, Liz, Rowanna, Nicole, and Lauren. I'm sorry if I missed you. We'll grab you in the next group. Okay, Diane, please go ahead. Yes, hi, I'm Diane, a compulsive overeater, <clears throat> and my name is Diane H. Oh, thank e. you. That's okay. Um, anyway, I wanted to share. I've, I've been around OA for a very long time, and... Uh, you know, <clears throat> this renewing my resolve, I tried again. Uh, this was me all the time with diets. I, I would always uh, fall off and just start eating again and then figure what the heck. And then the rest of the day was sh shot. I would just go on my eating. 
Um, you know, I, I forgot. I forgot I'm a compulsive overeater. I never thought that that would happen to me. Um, I've been in the rooms for over 30 years, and, you know, I just, I thought I had everything. It's, it's like your mind goes into an alcoholic blackout for me. And, uh, and I, and I just don't like being where I'm at right now. And I know I need to do some work. I'm, I'm working on the first step again. Um, because I don't want to have things slip and slide. I, I need to, um, work this program to the best of my ability. And I love this big book and, um, you know, I just have to stay with it. I, I didn't even want to share at times. Like, I, I don't put my hand up. I got to put myself out there. Uh, that's that's how I stay well. If I don't talk, I'm not going to stay well. And if I'm not honest, I'm not going to stay well. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much, Diane H. Barbara E., it's your turn. Thank you so much. Renewing my resolve, I tried again. Hmm. My disease cut through my life like a razor blade, and yet I still thought that someday I'd be able to eat like a normal person. But my disease got stronger, and binging brought me nothing but shame and self-loathing. But the idea that I could do it on my own had to be smashed. Page 44 says it clearly. Lack of power was my dilemma, but where could I find that power? My apostat was broken. I was never too full for yet another bag, box, or gallon. I remember watching soap operas, and the actor would put a teaspoon of ice cream in his mouth, and when he pulled it out, nothing had been consumed, and I kept yelling, eat the damn ice cream before it melts. What's wrong with you? It's melting. Or my husband would take one bite of dessert and push the plate away. Now that's insane. But no, it was I who was insane, thinking I could have just one. Always eating like a tiny little bird in front of you and going home and eating like a vulture at night. Slow, mindful chewing and putting my fork down between each bite was not for me. I ate because I was unhappy, resentful, tired, or for absolutely no reason at all. I was actually going blind in one eye, and my neurologist had suggested I have my jaw wired shut. I left my kids alone in their crib to speed to a fast food drive through and a quick stop at Dunkin' Donuts. I didn't know it yet, but I needed a power much greater than mine to save me. But that was my problem. I had no superpower. And I wouldn't have accepted that I needed this superpower. Not then. Yet I couldn't ride a bike with my kids or go down a water slide. All I had was food and it was killing me. But if you're new to this miraculous program, don't despair. Bill found his solution through a friend named Ebby and created this magnificent program. And if you roll up your sleeves and take all the actions asked of you, there is a solution to our common problem. My sponsor said, picture yourself in a rowboat, Barbara. But I said, the water looks choppy and I don't do rowing. 
But she said, God doesn't have arms, Barbara, so you better start doing the rowing. And she said to ask this power I didn't understand every day, how can I best serve thee? Thy will be done, uh, not mine. But I'm only human on a human path, so I won't always be inspired. Thank you, I hear that. But if you hang in, you will get one of these wonderful, maybe all of these wonderful promises, gifts of the program. Hang in. I pass. Thank you so much, Barbara. Okay, Maria, your turn. Good morning, Amy. My name is Maria F., and I'm a recovered uh, compulsive overeater from County Dublin in Ireland. I'm very grateful to be on the line this morning. And what I can really relate in this paragraph is the enigma, that enigma and insanity of the disease of alcoholism. And yeah, Bill thinking that he has power and he says, now I had what it takes. And Bill thinks exactly like I thought. He thought that self-will could fix his problem. And he has this, you know, what it describes here, this cocksureness, this overconfidence that tells him that, um, that he has this problem licked. And I can absolutely identify with that because it speaks to me of, what it speaks to me of is that self-will run riot, that ism, you know, the I, the I self in me. Um, and when I first read Bill's story, you know, this was probably one of the paragraphs um, which disturbed me the most because I could see a mirror image of myself and my behavior, you know, that overconfidence, that cocksureness. And what it really was was a defense against my inferiority complex, which was compounded by every binge I had. And yet I still thought that I had the power to stop eating. Um, and now I know, you know, looking back, this was nothing short of plain insanity. Um, insanity thinking that I had power um, when I had absolutely no power over this disease. Um, and Bill laughed at the, Bill, Bill the gin mills and, and I laughed it away, telling myself, you know, I'm just not that bad because, yeah, I suffer from a disease that wants to negotiate, yeah. Um, and Bill refers to this in the chapter when he says, one day I walked into a cafe to telephone. In no time I was beating on the bar, asking myself how it happened. And yet, you know, and we read on where it says, you know, as the whiskey rises to Bill's head, he gets back into negotiating with the disease again. That's where he is. He's back negotiating with the disease again, telling himself that he'll manage better next time. And that's what I did. Every time, you know, when the stakes got higher and the stakes got bigger and better negotiations and the disease was just progressing in me, you know. Um, and yet, like Bill, I tell myself, you know, that next time it'll be different. You know, next time I'll just have one. You know, this would be the last binge, and and then I would do exactly what he did. I'd get um, uh, good and drunk. I'd go and I'd get, I'd eat as much as I could, you know, and I'd be like Cinderella. I'm going to stop at 12 o'clock, and I'll start again tomorrow. It was always tomorrow. It was always the next day. Because, yeah, I had that built-in forgetter that told me that this time it would be different um, and told me this time I would only be able to have one or that I deserved it. And yet, cancer saying attempts to prove to me that I cannot eat like other people. I am not a normal eater. Um, and I'd have that battle going on in my head between the willpower and the obsession and that obsession in my mind and, and that obsession in my mind was going to win out every single time because my obsession is stronger than any willpower um, and for me I had to be beaten into what the big book describes as a state of reasonableness uh, before I was willing to surrender and admit complete defeat I had to get out of the ring and admit I'd lost you know, absolutely lost right. Um, yeah, I finished. I finished now. Just thanks for listening to me. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, Maria. Liz, it's your turn. Please go ahead. Oh, morning, everybody. Liz E. from the UK. I'm available to sponsor if anybody wants. Just thank you to everybody for doing service. Thank you to my fellows and my amazing sponsor. By the grace of this program, I've got into recovery during the pandemic, and it's just transformational. What this paragraph tells me is, um, why did he go to a bar to make a phone call? Because his ulterior motive was to get a drink. So let's be honest. And how many times I have done that. So, you know, I've stopped off to get petrol when I don't really need petrol. But the reason I've stopped is I can go to the shop and buy a stash of my of you know, sweets, chocolates, food, whatever you want to call it. And then I think, oh, and then I think, oh, I need one more thing because my daughter wants something for supper. I've got plenty of food in my house. My daughter doesn't want anything. It's another reason. So this really shows me how cunning and baffling the disease has had me. And I just used a million excuses. Online shopping orders, I think, oh, I better get, you know, a ton of ice, ice creams and things because my daughter will have friends around, et cetera, et cetera. No, I, all I was doing was legitimizing me buying food that I would gorge on, binge on. And, you know, surely he could have found another place to make a phone call rather than a, a, a bar or a cafe, but he went there because he knew that his, he could get his fix on alcohol. And that I have done that so many times. And then he, I've had that one piece of my alcoholic ingredient. And then I thought, oh, and I just pressed the effort button. And I just, that button is so worn out. I've pressed it for decades and decades and decades. And, you know, friends just look at me and they go, Liz, just have one. That's what, they don't actually say it, but I can see it on their face. It's like, what don't you understand, Liz? Just have one ice cream or just have one sausage roll or just have, no, I cannot do that. Once I've started, I'm off. And I am just so grateful um, for this program. I cannot tell you. And the number of times I thought, oh, well, that's it. And I could consume thousands of calories after 8 o'clock at night because I thought if I did it till midnight, that was, a, you know, that was okay. And so as long as I stop just before midnight. Time. I'll leave it there. Thanks a million. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much, Liz. Roanne, A, hey, your turn. Roanne, Hi, this is Roanne M as in Mary. I'm in New York. Grateful to be on the line. Thank you for calling on me. So at this point in Bill's story, we've gone through four stages of progressions in his illness, where first it just was disturbance to his wife. The next progression is that drink was taking an important and exhilarating part of his life. The third progression 
is that now he assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. And now liquor ceased to be a luxury, became a necessity. So now he needs this to live. And now he's trying to put it down. He keeps going through the cycle over and over and over again. The hamster wheel of putting it down, picking it up, putting it down, picking it up. He keeps trying. He renewing my resolve. I tried again. Some time passed and confidence began to replace, be replaced by cocksureness. How many times did I put it down? And then I was like, oh, I can do this. I can do that. Look at how well I'm doing. But then I go into a place that is not conducive to being in recovery and something triggers me or some feeling comes up or some emotion comes up and then I use and then I have a drink. I have a bite and then I say, and then I say screw it and then I'm off to the races. And the thing with me is it's not only that I can't have one. I don't want one. I have never just wanted one of anything. Why would I want one when I can have 10 or 20 or the bag or the box? That, wouldn't, that doesn't make any sense to me. I have an emptiness, a hole inside of me that I, and I have an unhealthy coping mechanism as an addict to think that it's the best idea to fill that hole with food or drugs or alcohol or people. Like, I can fill it with anything. I am an addict to my core. I am Bill Wilson. I'm a bathtub gin alcoholic addict. And so if I keep using these things, then I will never be free. I will never be rid of the physical allergy. I will never be free of the mental obsession. So I just love this paragraph because it describes my brain. I would manage better next time. Every single time I picked up, I told myself I would do better next time. I'll start again tomorrow. There was always tomorrow. There was always next week. What we can do by the grace of God, not me, we as a fellowship, as me and God, not me, Rowan, by myself, but we can put the food down one day at a time and be in recovery. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Rowan. Okay, Nicole P., it's your turn. Nicole, star one, to unmute. Oh, I thought I was unmuted. Well, (laughs) I love that I enjoy being imperfect today and I don't have to solve it with food. So, um, I'm Nicole P., a grateful recovering composer reader from Georgia. Um, I feel like this reading goes along with um, one of my favorite quotes by Mark Twain. And it says, you know, you can't pray a lie. And I know when I'm in the food, that's all I do is pray a lie. I will pray, oh, I got this. I can stop this. When I, uh, I'm i just going to have one burrito. I'm just going to have two or three slices of red velvet. I'm not going to eat the whole thing. Um, I find it interesting that 
of all the places that Bill could go to to telephone, he chose a cafe. You mean there was no other places you could go, Bill? I'm saying that to myself, too. I've done that where either my phone battery went dead or I left it in the car or whatever, and I just so happened to stumble upon a restaurant. Can I use your phone? You couldn't have used in all the other company's phones you passed by, Nicole? In my mind, I'm thinking I'm just coming in here to telephone. You know, I'm not going to look at the menu. I'm not going to order anything. And the next thing you know, I'm ordering something, and I'm binging. And I'm like, well, what the heck happened? I just come in here to use the telephone. And um, I I love that he says, um, I would manage better next time. That was me. You know what? This was just my lunch. It's my lunch break. It's okay. I'll do better with dinner. Dinner was always worse than lunch. The sad thing is I would eat and binge for lunch and eat enough for probably three or four people. Then an hour and a half, my disease tell me I'm hungry again. So I would already have at least two or three mini meals before I even had dinner. But, hey, I'll do better tomorrow. And then tomorrow came, and it was a recurring cycle. And it just it reminds me of how insidious this disease is. Um, talking about that cocksureness or that overconfidence, I had the overconfidence in the room. Because when I first came to the program, I wasn't working the program recovery. I was working the program in the cold. Nicole wanted to lose weight. Nicole wanted some support. So thank, I said, thank you, Oya. You gave me my support and you gave me my free diet program. Thank you. Bye. And it didn't work. <laughs> what, what a shocker. Just like my way didn't work the other 17 years of my life, it didn't work then either. And, you know, when I read this part, it just it tells me I am a real compulsive reader. I'm the person that was going through trash cans and in my own trash can and being like, you know what, I'm not going to eat this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to put in the trash can. I'm not going to touch it. And then two hours later, I'm in the trash can. That's the kind of addict I am. And when I have done things like that and when I'm in my mental twist, I love how I forget. Oh, no, I, I forget that I did stuff like that. And I'm thinking, I can handle this. But through this program, I am learning. I don't got it. HP got it. And it's okay to be in step one because I'm going to spend the rest of my life working these steps. You're never done with the steps. Thank you. So step 10 or steps one through nine. So for everyone who's in step one, don't beat yourself up. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nicole. Lauren N., you're up. Good morning, all. This is Lauren N., from New York, a compulsive overeater sugar addict. All I can remember is that um, pounding on the bar, how did I get here again? Remember thinking, this time, next time it will be different, and really believing it. I was 50 years old, had lost hundreds of pounds over and over again, had like 12 sizes in my closet from size 8 all the way up to size 32. And I had had my second or had my first bariatric surgery, gained all the weight back, was going in for my second bariatric surgery, um, and I was too fat to have the 
bypass, I ended up having the sleeve, thank God, but ended up starting to gain the weight back again. And that's when I came crawling into this, these rooms. Thank God for that. Because now I can say, five years later, I have not only lost more weight, I don't care about food anymore. And I can't, can totally remember when I had one cookie and ended up eating the whole box. Or I used to go to Costco just to say, oh, well, I need some salad stuff or whatever. Or I need some, um, some uh, laundry detergent just to get their box of cookies and would eat the entire box on the way home. Oh, God, could I remember all those times when I would start with one and would end up with the entire box. And then think, oh, well, all right, I've got more under my bed at home or I've got more stash somewhere in my house and would finish it before the night. Every day was the same, the same. I would kill myself with food. I had diabetes and I was giving myself shots every day and it didn't stop. Thank God today. Thank God today, I'm five years out and absent and free and know what I need to do every single day to stay there with your help and with God's help and my God's with skin because you all teach me every single day how to be humble. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Lauren N. Okay, we're going to take a round, another round of names. But uh, again, we ask if you shared on Monday and Tuesday, if you could please hold off so others could share their experience, strength, and hope. Much appreciated. Okay, this you're is on Ronnie. page. This is Roseanne B. This one is Ronnie. Sec, please. Ronnie yeah, one sec, please. We are on page five, the sixth paragraph, just to remind where we are. Okay, now I'm ready to take names. Please go again. Russ and B. Ronnie. Ronnie Russ in Missouri. And B. Ronnie. Jennifer C. Jennifer C. Okay, anybody else? Uh, Russ Ann, I think it was. Ronnie, Jenny C. Anybody else? I know there was Laura, a group of folks. Go ahead. Who was that? Laura K. Laura K. Anyone else? Going once, going twice. Okay. We got a good group here. Russ Ann, I think it was. Ronnie B., Jenny C., Laura K. All right. Go ahead, Russ Ann, your turn. Hello, Russ Ann, please press star one. Here I am. Thank you. Um, and good morning, fellows. This is Russ Ann B, recovered compulsive overeater near Detroit. Oh, this, I got it right. 
Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you. Doesn't always happen. So thank you so much. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, that's okay. Um, this uh, passage reminds me of something a phrase a sponsor taught me a long time ago, and that is, I have a disease that tells me I don't have a disease. I have a disease that has as a foundation denial and delusion. I have put myself in precarious situations with food, saying I can handle it, and then in an instant, and putting something in my mouth and relapsing from long-term abstinence. It's happened over and over again. And, you know, it's just like pounding my hands on the bar saying, how did I get here? When I try to retrace the steps, I know that somewhere I made a choice, but it's so difficult for me to put my finger on the process. I am so completely powerless over compulsive overeating. And I know that it's only a spiritual solution that can keep me away from the food and keep me recovered. And I work that that spiritual solution as best I can every day. That's the subtle, subtle foe of this disease. But I want to tell you that sometimes I've more explicitly lied to myself. I've said things like, oh, it won't matter. Or, oh, it's just a little bit, or tomorrow's another day. So I just want to tell you, I completely relate to the stories in this book. I'm so grateful for it. I'm grateful for all of you. And for anybody who doesn't know it yet, this program offers liberation from the disease and um, a wonderful, wonderful experience of living where you will be part of a community of people who understand you and support you and through which you can do lots and lots of service. Thanks so much. I pass. Thank you so much, Russ Ann. Ronnie B., it's your turn. Thank you. Um, Ronnie, compulsive overeater in Missouri. Um, This is one of my favorite paragraphs in the big book. I say that a lot because there's so many favorites. But this one is like what I call for myself the heart of my BS. <laughs> you know, I'm always doing something for someone else, but they never get it. They never see it. They have no idea I ever got it. Because by the time I got that junk food home, quote, for my daughter, unquote, or for company, it was pretty much gone. Or I'd eaten so much of it that by the time I served it for other people, I myself was okay with not having any, making me look like the star. And so, so I'll tell you what can't happen today, and I don't believe it will happen again, is that I will no longer be able to say I'm buying this for someone else. I don't believe I can ever go into a store again as long as I'm in fit spiritual condition and say I'm picking this up for that event. Because what I found is even if I'm asked to pick up a dessert for an event like a fish fry, oh, I can do that. And then I go get fresh fruit. You know, I can do things like that today, knowing that if I don't, I'm just telling myself a story. There's just no, I'm just not able to live in that anymore. I'm not saying I would never do it again or eat again. That, I could never be that cocky to say that. Maybe some people really are spiritually fit and they know today they'd never eat that again. That's not me. You know, uh, I've had too many 
times when I've gone back to the food and then I'm there for a very long time. I'm not one of those people that wants to have one of anything and then come back and say, oh, I had one of those last night. No, that, that, I don't even want to do that. So I just have to be very careful <clears throat> that when uh, people ask me to pick up a certain thing, and I also have said, oh, you know what? I was already going to make that casserole or whatever it was, and I've done that, and I've made it, and I've brought that. You know, and so if I don't feel like I can do a certain thing, I just don't do it. You know, like the big book says um, uh, at some point, it says, if we have a reason to be in that bar, then we're in the bar for that period of time only. I'm not saying the reason is to have a sandwich and a glass of milk and pour whiskey in the glass of milk. I'm saying I'm going to a baby shower, and it just so happens it's in a bar. So I'm going to go for that period of time and then get out being conscious that I have an illness. I want to turn this one thing over. I've noticed lately that when I'm doing things in my life that I enjoy and are interesting and I'm not bored, I don't think of the food. The food can be a time filler for me, no pun intended. So I just need to be careful of what my day looks like. So I'm time. time. Okay, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you, Ronnie. Jennifer C., your turn. Time is yours. Hi, this is Jennifer C. Recovered in Greenville, South Carolina. Good morning. Um, so looking at this paragraph on the other side of step one now, um, in the reverse, right? So in the reverse, I would say admitting my powerlessness means that knowing my firm commitment to stop wouldn't be enough. So I let go. I put all my confidence in God and this program, and I began to see my self-confidence as a liability. Step one in the 12 and 12 tells me that my self-confidence is actually a liability, guaranteeing my next binge. The more self-confidence I have, the greater the liability, okay? That's what step one tells me. I don't have what it takes. I will never, apart from a spiritual experience, have what it takes. And in no time, I will, guaranteed, I will eat compulsively again. It's a guarantee. I will never manage this better. It will always get worse. And unless entirely abstinent, I will have to finish out my spree. And I have no control over the misery or the damage or the demoralization that my spree will produce, including how long they will last, right? So my disease uses the on-again, off-again cycle to create an illusion that I have control. It's that very cycle that my disease tells me, hey, you know what, you can get back on because I have so many experiences of getting back on and that's all my disease shows me. There's all the times that I can get back on, but it doesn't tell me that the on again, off again cycle is actually part of the disease. It's not actually getting back on because it's that same on off cycle that destroys my self-confidence makes my life completely unmanageable, keeps me stuck in my disease. So the lie of you can get back on track, the truth is this very thought is the chief lie of my disease to keep me in my disease. And because this disease is progressive, the days I can string together are less and less, and the frequencies and the quantities of my binges become worse and worse. And all my disease will highlight to me is the fact that I can get back on track. This delusion must be smashed because it's that very cycle that will slowly and surely erode 
my life. So the reality of step one is that just because I know that and I believe that now, I will still have a mental blank spot. I will still, I will still spend my hard-earned money on my next binge. I will still decide that the pleasure of a binge is worth the pain and the demoralization and the depression and the suicidal thoughts that will come after it, right? So this self-knowledge, even knowing that the on-again, off-again cycle is part of my disease, that alone will not keep me from engaging again and believing the lie again. I will believe it over and over. Right. Unless I put the same energy that I put towards my disease, unless I take that same energy and channel it towards my recovery, I will not recover. God must restore me to sanity. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Jenny. Okay, Laura Kay, your turn. Hi, this is Laura Kay, recovered compulsive overeater in New York State, and I'm just uh, so happy to be able to say that I'm recovered. And um, first time I've said that out loud to anybody, I think. Um, it took me a while to get to that where I could Woo-hoo. say that and understand it, and because mm-hmm. I I always thought it was a, a day at a time. How can I be recovered? Until I heard many times why they say that on this program. And um, I just want to thank everybody. I I am so grateful for this program. I'm so grateful to all the uh, people who um, who do it every morning, get up and and have people come on this line. And um, this paragraph is incredible. I mean, one day I walked into a cafe and in no time I was beating on the bar. Well, it was like every day for me. No matter where I went, um, I I relate so to all the people who have talked about going to stores, stopping for this or that, because I used to do that practically every night after work. And um, and just, uh, you know, um, filling up before I got home because I didn't want to be, I knew it would be noticed if I was stuffing my face at home. So I was always doing it privately. I was always doing it in my car. I would do it after my husband went to bed. I would do it after the kids went to bed. Um, It was just always, I didn't want people to see how much I was eating, you know, because, um, gee, I just couldn't understand why, you know, I gained all this weight. But um, anyway, it, it, I just remember over and over and over again, holding my head in my hands and saying, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And uh, years of therapy, years of, oh, every single program, I swear, that was out there to lose weight, um, gastric bypass surgery, you name it, I did it. And um, coming into these rooms was, is the first time I felt relief from this horrible disease and from having neutrality with food and not, I mean, I just, it's just a miracle. It's just a miracle. So um, all I can say is it works. If you work it, you really do have to work it. You have to want it. You have to work the steps. And um, with that, I'm going to pass and share my, just wanted to take my seat today. Thanks. Thank you so much, Laura. Okay, so we have time for maybe two or three shares, I would say. Who would like to share on what was read? Page five. This is Linda in Dallas. I'd like to share. Uh, All I got was was Linda D. Who else? Michelle in Dallas. 
Michelle. 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 Got it. Mm-hmm. Irene. I've got Lynn. Irene. All right, so I've got Linda D, Michelle. I didn't get to Whit- your last initial. Whitney C. Whitney, I'm not sure we'll get to you, but let's see. So I've got Linda D, Michelle, Irene B, and possibly Whitney. All right, Linda D, please go ahead. Good morning, everybody. It's Linda D from Connecticut, Meriden, Connecticut. Uh, I'm recovered. What a miracle that is. Of course, I can relate to this paragraph. (laughs) Especially, I tried again. Of course, I did. And it never worked. The only thing that ever worked was realizing uh, something was said yesterday. Was I crazy? In point of fact, I was. And um, what a relief to know that. Uh, what I mean by that, not that it's wrong or bad to be crazy, crazy, you know, psychotic. I've been that too. Um, nothing wrong with that and, and those measures and those drugs. But um, in general, I'm self-destructive with food. And it will morph into uh, other ways of being self-destructive. Cigarettes, the whole alcohol, whatever, the whole thing. So I'm not trying again because here, through these steps, particularly, of course, OA, all the years that I've been in, uh, particularly through visions, I learned this is a disease disease. I mean, this is real. This is chemical. This is biochemical. This is my brain. It's not, the chemicals aren't going to go anywhere. The, the misalignment isn't going anywhere. I'll be a driven person, and I better find a higher power. And that was a real problem. And the steps, um, I was an atheist, and um, the steps made it possible for me to discover, to discover a higher power within me and, of course, within you too. So I am so grateful. I don't have to try. I just have to say, what do you want me to do next? I know who I'm talking to. I'm not talking to me. I'm talking to uh, my soul. And, uh, and we go from there. And it's a thrilling, thrilling experience. And it is hard work, but there's a lot of joy, too, even despite the circumstances we're all going through, which are horrible. So I'm very, very grateful for you. You you are part of my love and my life. Thank you. I love you for it. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Linda. All right, Michelle, please go ahead. That was Michelle. Press star one to unmute. Michelle, are you there? Michelle, is that you? I heard somebody unmuting. Okay. Well, we're going to move sorry, on to Irene. Sorry. Oh, there you Michelle. are. I hate the whole mute and unmuted thing. Um, so. Go ahead. I kind of was listening to everybody and trying not to repeat things, but really the trying again. Um, growing up, both of my parents were food addicts, drug addicts, and even when I was thin and run, running cross country, you know, I was believing that I was fat. Um, ran, you know, tried to exercise so I could eat and then became bulimic and then 
years later, became again an overeater, you know, up and down and up and down. And bulimia and anorexia tended to be the only thing that I could see. Um, Or if I went out on a date or my husband took me out or whatever, I would eat normally and run into the bathroom. And I thought, why am I going in here? And my husband figured it out. And he was like, you're going to have to sit here if I have to sit on you. And I had the lap band surgery, which made it even easier for me to throw up. So I found the things that I could eat easily, the things that would give me nutrients. I would suck it out and throw it up. Or So for me, you know, trying again and again and again, I'm still new. I've only been coming for a couple of weeks now, and um, I really want that freedom that I need. Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like I'm still in that place where I'm I'm suffering and I'm putting that on myself and I'm just trying to get up every day and work and take a shower and be good to myself. Um, My husband and I are getting separated and he's moving out at the end of the month and we've already started talking about divorce. He has his own addictions. And for me, it's all I can do is to get through every day while he's still here to be able to hold the thought in my head that doesn't consume how much I love him. So then I punish myself because I can't put food in my mouth or I can't eat. And the amount of weight I've lost in such a short amount of time, you know, everybody's like, that's so great. But if you knew because I couldn't eat, you wouldn't be happy about it. And, um, Today, I just hope that I can make it through today and eat what I can eat. Time. Because um, I'm trying to get out of the house to go play golf with this group of ladies. And if I can't eat and I can't have some substance, I'll have to cancel. So thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Michelle. Welcome, 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 welcome. Keep coming back. Okay. Irene B, we've got, it looks like about a minute and a half. So Whitney, I'm sorry, we are not going to get to you. So please. I was going to say to let Whitney share. Oh, are you sure? Okay. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you, Irene. That's very kind of you. Well, we've got about a minute now. Uh, Whitney, if you would like to go ahead and share and take us out. Whitney. Hi, may be heard. This is Whitney C. Recovered hey, compulsive. Thank you. I'm Whitney C. Recovered compulsive eater from Northern California. So grateful to be on the line today. And um, I just I don't allow my voice to be heard very often. Um, but I've, I'm with you guys every single day. And the shares that I've heard and the way that I've been able to experience. Um, a new life and a new freedom that I'd never known. And the reason this passage really spoke out to me was that it says that I tried again. And that is my story. I tried every imaginable remedy and I was hopeless and desperate. I have two years this week of freedom in another program, but I did not have conscious contact with a loving God that I now call God today, which is nothing short of a miracle. 
This pandemic found me face down in the food, eating Rolos out of the trash can while I'm screaming at my kids because the food just stopped working. I was no longer able to experience ease and comfort. And I don't know how the vision popped into my head, but I knew of a vision for you and I knew of a woman who sponsored and I made that phone call. And my life has been, thank you. Mm -hmm. I'll pass. Sorry to cut you short, but we got to wrap it up. But glad to hear you, Whitney. Always glad to hear everyone on the line. And I'd like to thank everyone who shared. Please join us. We've got more time here, a second unrecorded hour of study. So please hang on immediately following after our newcomer greeters information. Share ID for today's meeting, Wednesday, September 16, 2020, 7 a.m., 15,365. 15,365. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Martha Z, could you please read a vision for you for us? Thank you, Amy. This is Martha Z. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God from outside of Philadelphia. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.